Likutei Sichas, Chelik Yutes, Volume 19, the second Sicha for Parshas Ha'azinu. <clears throat> this Sicha is an Arashi on Chapter 32, Perak Lamed Beis, Pasik Memches, Verse 48. This is a Rashi Sicha, but it's a very easy and a very logical Sicha, quite easy to understand. Also, I believe this Sicha also highlights the difference, the fundamental difference between a Yid versus Lahavdul Agai in our attempt to appreciate, to accept, and to change fate as it is. So, towards the end of the Sedra, towards the end of the Parsha, it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe, Be'etzem Hayoyim Hazer, in, the, in that very day, or in the midst of that very day, Lamar saying, What did he tell them? He says to him, Go up to Haranavoy, to Mount Nebo, Nebo, and there you shall see the entire land that I am going to give to the children of Israel, and then you will pass, you will die there on that mountain. So Rashi quotes the words, Hashem that Hashem spoke to Moshe on this very day, in the midst of this very day, which is in fact an entire verse. The heading of Rashi is an entire verse. And Rashi says the following. I'll try to paraphrase. He says, quote, in three places in the Torah, it says this term, this expression, in the midst of this very day. It says it by Noyach when it says that Hashem had Noyach come into the Teva, come into the Ark. It says, Be'etzem hayoyim azeh, this very day. Which means, in the brightness of the day. Why? Why does this happen? So Rashi explains, because the people of his generation said, if we're going to see that Noach is making an attempt to go into the Teva, to go into the Ark, we're not going to allow him to do so. And not only that, follow these words, and moreover, not only that, we're going to take rods and axes and we're going to break up the table. We're going to destroy the ark. And Hashem said, I am going to bring him in in the midst of this day, not, you know, in the cover of darkness. And let's see who's going to have the strength to come and protest. That's one place. The second place is by Egypt. It says that Hashem, in Parsha's boy, it says, Be'etzem hayoyim azeh, in the midst of this very day, meaning in the brightness of the day, in broad daylight, Hashem took out the children of Israel from Mitzrayim. Why is that? Because once again, the Egyptians said, and I'm still quoting from Rashi, if we see that the Jews are making an attempt to leave, we're not going to let them go out. And not only that, but moreover, remember, follow these words, moreover, we're going to take swords and all kinds of arms, all kinds of weaponry, and we're going to kill them. We're going to stop them by force. So Hashem said, I am going to take them out in broad daylight, in midday, and let's see who can come and protest and stop. Says Rashi, so too here, follow these words, that I was going to emphasize this later. So too here, in the passing of Moshe, it says, quote, in the midst of this very day. Why? Because the children of Israel said, if we're going to feel if we're going to sense that Moshe is about to pass away or he's going to do an action which is going to cause him to die, we're not going to allow him. Why? Because this is a person that took us out of Egypt. He split the sea for us. He brought down the manna. He brought down the slav. 
and he gave us the well of water. He gave us the Torah. We're not going to allow him. So Hashem said, I am going to bring him in. In I am going to mean bring him in, meaning I'm going to have him pass away in the middle of the day in front of the view of everyone and doesn't say anything else. It says, etc. This is going to be a point in the Rebbe's explanation of Rashi. So, of course, first things first, why did Rashi in the first place feel a need to address these words, so it's very obvious because we already know from the previous Parsha in which it says that Moshe went and spoke to the Jewish people and said to them, quote, I am 120 years old today and I can no longer come and go. And we know that that's the last day of his life. And here it's going to tell us about him passing. He didn't live another day. So it's obvious that it's still in the same day. So therefore the question would be, why would the Torah need to point out that it's in the midst of this very day, that it's still in that day? And therefore Rashi felt compelled to explain that it's trying to teach us something. Not just give us a, a, a chronological timeline so we have an idea when this happened, because it's quite obvious. We can do the math. We can understand on our own. But rather, because there's something behind these words, as is the case in Noah and by, by, the, by the flood, and later by Egypt, by Mitzrayim, therefore Rashi explains it. So that's quite you know, understandable why Rashi has to address it. However, there are some questions in the language that Rashi uses, and especially in the lengthy explanation and the examples that he brings. We do know that Rashi doesn't say any extra words. In fact, we also know that Rashi is very precise in his verbiage, even the expressions that he uses, and especially, as we've pointed out many times in the Rashi Sikhis, even in the heading that he uses, there is always an exactness as to why he chooses those words for the heading. Over here, the obvious question pops up right away. Why the long heading? The heading in Rashi is the entire verse. Well, and really the question is only on the words in quote in the midst of this very day. Why does he have to quote the words and Hashem spoke to Moshe? So we'll see an answer for that later. Another question, which is actually a logical question in this entire matter. Think about it for a second. How is it, you know, you know, if you think about the, 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 the non-Jews, the Goyim, the people of the generation of Noyach or the Egyptians, it makes sense that they had some kind of weird idea that they can perhaps stand up against Hashem's decree, that they can somehow, you know, uh, overt or, or perhaps, you know, change the outcome when Hashem decreed something. But it doesn't make sense. How is it that what went through the mind of the Eden then, why, how would a Jew even think, especially those Jews, how would they even consider that they can stop, that they can abort Hashem's plan? Okay, so that's one general logical question. Another question in Rashi is, why does he have to bring this, all the detailed uh, proof from Noah, from what happened here, and then later from Egypt? What wouldn't have been... Why would why would have been insufficient if Rashi would have just explained that Be'etzam Yomazem means that Hashem did it in broad daylight because the Jews thought to perhaps try to abort this decree and therefore he went ahead and he um, 
uh, he went ahead and um, um, what's it called again? And um, and stopped it for them. Hashem stopped it for them, and he had Moshe pass away anyway. What what would have been wrong with that? Why does he have to bring all these proofs? This obviously leads us in a direction that perhaps this be'etzem hayom this quote in our pasuk, in our verse, where it says in the midst of the day, it with the absence of those proofs from Noah and Mitzrayim, which sets a precedent. Perhaps we would not be able to explain it that, quote, they tried to go against Hashem's will and therefore Hashem showed them, no, I'll do it in the broad daylight and you're not going to be able to stop it. Because there's something lacking here. Something doesn't make sense. Something doesn't add up. How would they even come to think of such a thing as we'll soon see? Another interesting question is, when it comes to the Egyptians and to the people of the generation of Noah, Rashi does not give a reason as to why they thought to attempt to abort the plan. Whereas here, by the children of Israel, Rashi goes into a whole lengthy explanation as to why the Jews would want to attempt to stop Moshe from passing away. He did this for us, and he did that for us, and he did this great thing for us, and this miracle, and so on. Why is that necessary? In other words, why couldn't it be self-understood like it is there? They, they didn't want it to happen for whatever reason. Why does Rashi feel compelled to go into a lengthy, detailed reason as to why the Jews would feel the need and, and compelled to, to stop Moshe from dying? Another thing is, another question that could be asked is, you know, as, as we said, Rashi is very, very exact and very... Uh, precise in his details that he brings in his explanation. Why is it that Rashi brings that by Noyach and by the Egyptians, by the that is by the flood and by the Jews leaving Egypt, why is it over there that he brings that they said, and moreover, not only that, but if we, you know, we're going to bring, whether it is axes and, and, and rods or, or swords and, and, and weaponry in order to stop them. And the other question is, why does he have to bring two examples? Why can't you just say, you know, we're going to bring tools to stop them? Why does he have to specify the tools that they will bring? So the answer and the explanation of all of this is as follows. Like we already made a point, but we'll just emphasize it. It's obvious that there is a big difference between the Jews here versus the Egyptians and Lahavdal also the people of the children the, the people of the generation of Noah. There we're dealing with Rishoim. We're dealing with wicked people. Over here we're, de- we're dealing with Tzadikim. Not only are they Jews, which in the in the first place they're Tzadikim, but this is already the generation that's quote entering Eretz Yisrael. Remember that even their fathers, who all passed on in the course of 40 years, who perhaps were not as righteous as they. And they, unfortunately, because of their constant complaining, they ended up passing on and not meriting to go into Israel. But this generation is different. This generation, as Moshe already said to them, quote, you are all alive today, alive and consistent with Hashem's will. So the question is, how would they even think of going against Hashem's will? How would they even think that it's possible to stop Hashem's will. And this would be the reason why we would not be able to accept 
that Be'etzem Hayom Azeh, that quote in the, in the midst of this day, means that they attempted to go against Hashem's will. In other words, if Rashi would not bring the proof from Noach and from Mitzrayim, we would be, we would be, we would have a difficulty, it would be hard for us to accept that indeed these people tried to go against Hashem's will, or even had a thought of trying to abort Hashem's decree. In other words, if not for this precedent, if not for the fact that in all the other places, and I say all the other places in the Torah, where it mentions, where it says this expression, it means exactly that, that the people of that particular instance tried or attempted or had a thought, at least, of attempting to abort the decree, abort the will of Hashem, I would not be able to explain it so. And this is what compelled Rashi to bring the two examples in order to show us that wherever and whenever the Torah says this expression, in regards to a narrative and the story that happened, it must mean that the people did attempt to go against Hashem, to, to stop the decree of Hashem. But this brings us to the next point. Then how could this be? How so? How can we put them in the same, how are they in the same, or what seems to be the same category, the same mindset as the Egyptians and the people of Noah's generation? It's not possible. We just made the point that these are great tzaddikim, even greater than their ancestors who stood by Mount Sinai, who stood and received the Torah and merited to go out of Egypt. So how could this be? The answer is, this is where Ashi adds with the words when he says, so too here, we will not let him. They did not say so too here, we will not, uh, we will come and break down things or we will smash the mountain or we're going to stand up against Hashem. What they thought is by us not letting him, him being Moshe, to go up to the mountain, he's not going to die. Because their understanding was that Hashem said to him, quote, go up to the mountain, see the land from the mountain, and then die on the mountain. So they thought that this is contingent on him being on the mountain. So they felt that they're not going to stand up to fight Hashem in the actual decree. But if they take away the means of him getting up to the mountain, they stop him, they prevent him from going up to the mountain, then he won't die. Perhaps the decree will be abolished, so to speak, on its own, but not that they're going to go against Hashem. They're just going to take away, so to speak, one peg and the rest of the machine won't work. Not because they're going against Hashem, not because they're fighting Him, but because on its own it won't happen. And now we can also understand why Rashi doesn't add anything to this and tell us a means of how and what they're going to do because they weren't planning to fight Hashem. You see, by the Egyptians and by Noah, these were Rishoyim. Again, we emphasize, these were wicked people. And they did not have a, an appreciation, an understanding, nor a belief in the power of Hashem. So in their minds, in their estimation, if they want to stop the situation, this may become a prolonged, proactive war or engagement. For example, the people of Noah's generation, they felt, look, what we need to do is we need to stop them from going in to the, to the ark. Since we need to stop them from going into the ark, because 
he might fight back. So we got we to gotta be ready. We have to have tools. And who knows how long this is going to take. It can take a week. It can take two weeks. We may have to keep him away from the ark forever until we can manage to break the ark. And the same thing with the Egyptians. The Egyptians thought, well, if we have to you know, stop them, once we start killing them, we have swords, we're going to need also to fight them. So they were ready for that too. But the Yidden, they understood the, and, and they had a qualitative appreciation of Hashem's ways of doing things. And if Hashem said to him, quote, you're going to die on this day, on this day, by being on this mountain, so they felt that if they can hold him back, if they can prevent him from going on up to the mountain, then the entire decree will be abolished and tomorrow they won't have to engage in any whatsoever measures of holding it back because the decree will have been already aborted, finished, over with. And that's why Rashi doesn't go into detail as to what their plan of action was, so to speak. And now we're also going to understand why the Egyptians... And the people of Monarch's generation, Rashi brings the example of the two types of tools or weaponry that they prepare themselves with. You see, by the people of Noah, again, back to their thinking. Their thinking was, if we break the Teva, if we break the Ark, we don't allow Noah in, then there's no Mabul, there is no flood. See, they had a very, very... Uh, primitive understanding and appreciation of how Hashem works. So they thought like this, if we can break the Ark, then the protection of Noah is gone, and we know that the, the, the flood is contingent on us dying, and Noah, Noah being protected, so then kind of like Hashem has no choice, he's not going to be able to bring the flood. So what did they prepare themselves for? They prepared themselves for, for with axes to break down the Teva, to break down the Ark, but they didn't bring swords to kill Noach. They brought Cheshilin, as Rashi says, which are rods. Rods are just, you know, basically weapons of defense, but they're non-lethal. Because they understood in their way of thinking that if they kill Noach, now for sure the flood's going to come because no, no, there's no Noach to need any protection anymore. So that's why they prepare themselves for that. And the same things with the Egyptians. The Egyptians figuring that they're going to have to kill the Jews and fight the Jews. And with that, they can stop the Jews from leaving. They felt like, of course, the Jews are going to, you know, the Jews are becoming emboldened now with the Ten Plagues. And they're going to stand up and fight and start a war. So we're going to be ready for a long protracted war. We're going to have all the arms, all the weaponry that we need. So therefore, they didn't only bring swords and, you know, to kill the Jews, but they also prepared themselves with weaponry. And now we can understand Rashi's choice of a very lengthy heading for this Rashi. What, remember the question was, why does he bring the words? Why does he add into the heading, Vayidaber Hashem Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe. You see, because the question still remains. After everything we've explained, still, how do the Jews think that they can do it? What are they thinking? What's going on over here? Why, you know, how can they think that they're even allowed to do it and this is not called, this is not considered an affront to Hashem's will? The answer is, the way they understood things, it says, Vayedaber Hashem El Moshe. Hashem spoke to Moshe. He spoke to Moshe. He told Moshe that he should go up to the mountain. He never told them that they should see to it that Moshe should go to the mountain. He never told them that they have a responsibility to make sure that Moshe ascends the mountain. And therefore... 
They felt like it's Moshe's problem if he can get up to the mountain or not. And if we stop him, it's not really his fault that we stop him because we we've had prevented him against his will to fulfill Hashem's will. So it wouldn't be considered a sin for him. And for us, it's not considered a sin either because Hashem never told us to bring him up to the mountain. Hashem never told us anything about it. And this brings us to the next point. The... Where was their thinking that in the first place they can stop this whole, this whole, what's it called again, this whole decree? Where can they even think such a thing of aborting Hashem's will? Well, there's already a precedent for this. Remember, for example, by the terrible sin of the golden calf, had Hashem not said to Moshe, and I'm going to destroy them, and Moshe managed to stop it. Hashem said he'll destroy him, and Moshe did his thing, and he just stopped it. So they felt that they have to do it. Now we'll understand why Rashi brings all the examples of the great miracles and favors that Moshe did for them. Because this is really the core of the whole thing. Why do they feel that it's actually allowed for them, that they are permitted, or as we'll see in a moment, perhaps even borderline obligated to go and try to stop Moshe from passing away, to go against Hashem's will, Hashem's decree? The answer is, we know that it's a fundamental principle in the Torah, that you have to be thankful, that you're not allowed to be unappreciative. And this we already saw several parshiot ago, where when one brings the bikurim, the first fruits, and the tithing, it's not enough to just bring it and, 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 and plop it down. But you have to actually say a vidui. You have to make a confessional and say, I am appreciative. I am not unappreciative. I am I'm thankful to Hashem for all the good that He's done for us. So they felt, look how much Moshe has done for us. Look what Moshe has done for our people. How could we? Not only how could we. It must be that according to the principles of the Torah, we have an obligation to do our part. Even if it means forcing Moshe to go against what Hashem told him to do, that's his problem. But we have to do our part. And this is what led them to this idea that they're going to perhaps you know, be successful, and not only be successful, that they have a need to attempt to abort this decree. Now, one final thing that Rebbe says is a beautiful remez, is, you know, in the esoterics, something that's hinted in the actual word, the choice that Hashem uses in giving us a, a glimpse into the backstory of what happened here, that the Jews tried to stop it, but they didn't succeed in stopping it because Hashem did it, quote, be etzem hayomazeh, in the midst, in the broad daylight, in the broad uh, midday of that day. You see, the word etzem also come, means essence. And this hints to the fact that really, why didn't Hashem allow them to succeed? Why didn't Hashem allow them to succeed? Moshe would have gone into Israel and everything would be beautiful and so nice and dandy. Why did Hashem not allow it? We don't see that Hashem got angry at them, but Hashem didn't allow it to happen. The answer is Hashem was hinting, looking out for their, quote, essence, the essence of their existence. And let me explain. We know that Moshe, whatever Moshe did, all the, quote, handiwork of Moshe, Masay Yedei Moshe, are all everlasting and exist forever. Even, for example, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, that is, and the Oron, the Ark of the Covenant, they all still exist. And therefore, Hashem knew, if Moshe goes into Israel, if they're able to break this decree and Moshe goes into Israel, 
Who's going to build the base of Mikdash? Who's going to build the Holy Temple? Moshe. If Moshe builds the Holy Temple and one day the Jews come to a point where they deserve destruction as, as it came about because as a result of their sins, what's going to happen? Hashem will not be able to, so to speak, destroy the Beis Hamikdash. Hashem will not have, so to speak, on what to let out the anger and what to let out the decree. And therefore, who is it going to be let out on? On the Jews themselves. And we know that it says one of the great things that Hashem did by the destruction of Beis Hamikdash is called Kilas Hashem quote let out his anger on the stones and on the wood, meaning on the structures. But the Jews remained intact. So here, in fact, we see how Hashem was doing a favor for us by not allowing us to abort this decree.